Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Hi, this is Yuri Marshall, and I will be with Sanaya on Project Loving Myself to talk about mental health and the stigma that surrounds it. You are listening to Project Loving Myself podcast, a well-being podcast that shares stories of self-love, mental fortitude, and self-discovery. Hosted by life designer and well-being coach, Sanaya Gurnamal. Hi, I'm Sanaya Gurnamal, and this is the Project Loving Myself podcast. Join me each week as we navigate through aha moments, new ideas, and flashes of insight from candid conversations that inspire you to get started on your own project of loving yourself. Because the most important relationship you will ever have is the relationship that you have with yourself. You matter. This is Project Loving Myself. A very warm hello to you. Thank you for joining me today as we get into a pretty serious topic, mental health and suicide prevention. Now, this episode may trigger you, especially if you are battling with suicide or know a loved one dealing with such a crisis. This episode is meant to shed some light on the subject while giving you some strategies and guidance on how to manage these situations. However, I strongly suggest that you seek professional help if you feel like you are drowning and it is a battle just to get through your day-to-day life. There are a lot of people struggling with suicidal thoughts who may never actually attempt suicide. And there are those who've been planning their exit strategy from life because life just gets too much. I had a young client who talked to me about having suicidal thoughts because all the kids her age would say things like, this class is killing me. I wish I could end it right now. I would love to just pull the plug. It's become commonplace to make such references, especially in the younger generation. But while this may sound like just students exaggerating how they feel, it signals a deeper problem of individuals feeling overwhelmed, feeling like life is something that they can't easily navigate on their own. And I see it more and more since the pandemic. Many of my clients in the corporate sector in particular are battling multiple identities like they have it together at work, but when they get home, they are all but falling apart or racked with anxiety, insecurity, and stress. How long can a person go on like that? Which brings me to our guest today, Yuri Marshall, who is the CEO of MindU, a mental health services organization that aims to provide all workplaces and large corporations with mental health support for their employees to ensure that they are properly supported both physically and psychologically in every facet of their lives. Yuri's story is important because he had a bout with suicide in 2019, 
which led him to discover his passion and purpose for mental health. As a suicide survivor, he now shares the same aim as Mind You to destigmatize mental health, increase access to quality therapy nationwide, and reduce costs for sessions so that more people can access affordable mental health care. It's a pretty big mission, a lofty one, that's for sure. Can he do it? Can he drive the Philippines forward to a level of awareness and understanding of mental health that it has yet to reach? Let's talk with him today on this episode as we put the spotlight back on mental health and its very devastating consequences when it is neglected with Yuri Marshall. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sanaya. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you so much, Yuri, for being here. It is especially, I think, um, unique because not only are you part of an organization that addresses this problem, but you are also someone who has been through it. You have been through where all those people that you are serving may be, you know, may have come across in their lifetime or are still dealing with that issue. So thank you so much for sharing this about yourself. You're very welcome. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You're from Cebu. Your parents are from Mindanao. And yet you grew up in Papua New Guinea. Yes. Uh, so to clarify, my parents are from Sambuaga del Norte, which is a part of Mindanao. Mm-hmm. And they were already living in Papua New Guinea at the time. Okay. But at the time they actually migrated to Papua New Guinea, it was still technically Australia. It was in 1974. It was in Australian territory. And uh, my mom just uh, came back to the Philippines so that she can give birth to me. And that was in Cebu. That's my place of birth. I love Cebu. I can speak Cebuano, Visaya. And so that's my background. My first 18 years of life was in Papua New Guinea, which was a phenomenal experience, uh, very multicultural. It's in the South Pacific. It's very near Australia. So I had, they had an Australian education system. And yeah, so that was, um, that was my initial part of life. And um, my battles with mental health actually stem from even back then. Because when I was 10 years old, my biological father passed away here in the Philippines. And so my mom was actually a single mom for quite some time after that occurred. And just seeing her survive, seeing her struggle, and then also seeing her rise was actually uh, is huge, huge inspiration for me and really is probably the backbone of all of my resilience, all of my purpose of living really kind of stems from my mother and and seeing the hardships that she went through. So, yeah. Did you have any siblings to share those hardships with, or were you essentially dealing with it on your own? I was the only biological child. Uh, So at the time, my father's passing, uh, it was just me and mom. But as, as time went on, my mom did adopt a couple of children over in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. And so I do have two adopted sisters over there and they still live there. And I, I now have also step siblings from my, because my mom got remarried. She remarried to my father now, which is um, Captain Phil Marshall. He's over in Papua New Guinea still. Oh. And he's my father right now, who, whom also is a huge contributing factor to just my value system. He's, he's an amazing human being and he's, he's part of my support system even till today. That sounds like an incredible journey, you know, for someone who 
did not grow up with a father to actually find someone who is not biologically related to you. And yet you could rely on this person and feel that sense of connection. A lot of uh, people that I have talked to have reported to have the similar experience where they are either an only child or they never got to get to know their father or they lost their father. But very few of them actually find someone who can represent that father figure in their life later on in their journey. So I think it's incredible that you had the chance for that. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Yuri, tell me what it was like to live in Papua New Guinea, because I've actually never met anyone who lived there. You said, you know, it had a lot of elements of living in Australia since it was part of um, the country. But um, I also am familiar a little bit with the culture there, which would be quite different. It's very extremely different. Uh, it was an Australian territory, obviously before 1975, but it's probably considered one of the most dangerous places to live. Okay. <laughs> the crime rate is very high and uh, it's got a very small population. There is urbanization problems over there and it's come a long way since my time there in the 80s and 90s. So it was a very difficult environment in terms of security-wise. But as, as a child, I am in love with Papua New Guinea. I have very fond memories of my time spent there in my formative years. Basically, all of my best friends that sit on my 10 fingers are all from my time in Papua New Guinea. Uh, because it's such a unique and intense environment, uh, you do develop extremely deep connections with the people around you. And so... Their culture is amazing. It's, it's tribalistic. They've got 700 languages, not dialects. It's languages. And it's filled, absolutely filled with culture and nature. And uh, I, I just want to say that that's another side of, of me that I'd love to open up and reveal. And this is the first time it's being opened up. Thank you, Sanaya. Which is I, I'm a huge walking business card for... For Papua New Guinea, the most beautiful rainforests, uh, the most beautiful seas and oceans, and, and the culture itself is so rich and so deeply rooted into its connection with the earth. And so I have a lot of respect, actually, for Papua New Guinea and, and how it contributes to resources uh, just on the planet. It's very rich, resource-rich. Uh, you've got gold, oil, gas, uh, lots of uh, valuable metals coming out from that part of the earth. Amazing. And so, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for Papua New Guinea. And so I believe also like the indigenous people are also struggling with, as you said, there's crime and there's a few of the things you mentioned. And so there's this whole culture there and there's their struggles, I would imagine, in also urbanization and things like that going on. I read in your profile, you uh, headed a law firm working with basically people who are underrepresented, right? Because it was visa immigration, am I right? Immigration law. And then you're also now working, you know, with mental health and destigmatizing mental health, again, an underrepresented sort of population or, uh, you know, an underrepresented, I would say, issue. And so do you think coming from Papua New Guinea and that upbringing, and then the career path you chose with the law firm and then now with mental health 
has some kind of connection with that childhood of learning to appreciate culture, people, and sort of represent, you said you're a walking business card for Papua New Guinea. And most people haven't even heard of, you know, Papua New Guinea or what resources are there or how beautiful it is. So that's kind of the first thing that that came up to my mind as you were relating a little bit about your upbringing and your your culture. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's all connected. You know, I I really kind of fell into the immigration industry purely because when I was in Papua New Guinea, I was friends with the daughter of one of the embassy staff who got me some work experience in the embassy. And we were both doing the international baccalaureate at the international school there. And that's really my connection immediately into the immigration kind of environment. Then when I went to Australia, I studied law. And then there was this opportunity for me to actually move into the immigration legal space. And I took it. I pounced on it. I was a very, uh, how would I say it? I was a very ambitious, young, I hate to say entrepreneur at the time. I was just a, a young, brave soul that thought that I could tackle any dream that came across my mind. And I, I took one of them, uh, which was I hope to- you still feel that way, <laughs> that you could tackle any dream. Why not? Yes, it's expanded and more grounded, I would have to say. So there's a more reality injected into there. But I, I would have to say working with migrants has been a, a really great journey previous to, to mental health and obviously seeing individuals that are wanting to apply to live and work in, in a better environment where they could, you know, have a family and have a career and, and you know, have live out their own dreams was very rewarding uh, over an 18 year period and um, I'm still I'm still a principal for that uh, organization but I'm slowly removing myself out of it because my true passion really is is in mental health only because I really reached a fork in the road in 2019 where I made a decision that okay now that I've been able to find the the ray of light that's now being kind of able to shine itself in a, on a new pathway. I, I really trusted in that new um, direction and which has now led me to where I am now. And I'm very grateful. There's a lot more work to do. And yeah, I'm hoping that we can obviously share more information with yourself and, and everyone else that's listening so that we can support mental health in the Philippines, regardless whether it's with Mind You or any other organization. I think that we have to collaborate together. Yeah, absolutely. I like how you used um, the metaphor, like the the ray of light, because most change makers, thought leaders, light workers, however you want to label the people that are here on this planet to make a difference, to make change, to help people kind of move forward with whatever they're struggling with, they always seem to have that moment, that turning point in their life where they see the light in their own space. And it essentially moves them, inspires them to create enough of a change in their life that they can start start to serve people in a very different capacity from the way they had chosen to before. Now, tell me about this fork in the road. You said in 2019, there was a fork in the road. And we also know that that was the time where you must have hit a really rough time in your own life. So tell me about those kind of events that led to you essentially attempting suicide? 
Sure. By the way, thank you for holding the space. I, I have shared elements of this story uh, in other uh, other platforms, um, and I'm happy to kind of expand on it today. Uh, I think it really, um, I think what's important to note was in 2015, my mom passed away. And she passed away very suddenly, very aggressive, stage four cancer. And it was so sudden that me and my um, my father had really thrown everything at it. We threw... It, we we tried the medical system. We tried advice in Australia. It didn't quite work. So we went on an adventure over to Mexico to trial experimental therapies. And my mom was very willing to do so. And in, in a matter of weeks, uh, things just turned for the worse. And so it, really what happened in 2015 was uh, that was a major turning point for me. And me and my partner at the time had decided to, you know, change things up. You know, how are we going to rebuild the business that we had grown together? And we decided to outsource all of the back end to the Philippines. And that's actually how I ended up in the Philippines was a process of digitizing and automating a lot of the back end administration and paralegal work associated with the um, immigration firm in Australia. But also and with respect, holding respect, my partner at the time who I was with for close to nine years before we separated, we had our own set of challenges. And that compounded with me not facing and dealing the psychological impact of my mother's passing really culminated in a very serious situation in 2019. And I prefer not to go into too much detail about it. Because I am still working through some of those emotions. Sure. But but basically, you know, the, the death of my mom compounded with challenges in my relationship at the time, all met at a head point. And what, I, what I'd like to say is earlier I referred to the ray of light, but now coming forward and going through the healing process. I've gained a tremendous amount of respect for the darkness because I think what hasn't been properly addressed in suicide prevention is what is that dark environment like? And what are the pressures associated with that darkness that leads people into a psychological state where they're willing to consider taking their own life? And I don't believe that it's as easy as someone coming to you and saying, believe in the light, uh, believe in this positivity, or, you know, don't think about that. It really is about appreciating how that darkness has embedded within it its own roadmap and doorways that are opportunities for you to seek the light and to see it and to lean into it and to trust in it. But even, even seeing that small ray of light, you're still clouded and surrounded by so much darkness that I think that you know, there is a better process of how to take each step out of that dark room. And that's one of my, um, I think, obsessions right now is how do we create a new, in innovative and rescue centric process for people that are facing that type of decision. You know, I think suicide prevention is very important because a lot of it is underreported 
And if you look at the, the data sources here, particularly in the Philippines, there is a lack of data systems and it's very difficult to respond to that type of crisis when you can't even see the problem. We don't even have optics and visibility into it. And so that's one of the areas where I feel a lot of infrastructural change is needed. A lot of investment is needed in that area. And even partnerships for those other mental health providers that are living more so in that commercial space, I definitely see that, that there is a need to also have that connected to these uh, rescue systems. And so I think that's really um, a description of a very short description of where I was in 2019 and how it's led to me here. But it's it was a very emotional, challenging time for me, Sanaya. And um, I can imagine I, I'm still I'm still going through you know the healing journey from that time. It's that was only three years ago. So yeah, right. You know the darkness. There are really two perspectives that you need: darkness to appreciate or understand light. That we need that duality, right? That I need to see how bad it is to actually value and appreciate how good it can be. Or when I hit rock bottom, then the only way to go is up. But not everyone gets there, right? And that's the challenge is for some people, the darkness, it definitely, you know, it is the pathway to their growth. It is the pathway, you know, through which they, they go through a process of healing. And then there are those who don't ever quite get there because the darkness essentially swallows them whole. And I, I love that for you, recognizing how difficult it was to get through that darkness, to respect it, while at the same time recognizing your own challenge. And, and it's been three years and you are still working through it. I think that kind of perspective is so needed because in a way you are the optic. You know, you are what other people cannot see. You have that perspective. And so, you know, I really honor and recognize what you're doing, uh, why you're here to do it, because not only is it underreported all over the world, but I think particularly here in the Philippines, there is way too much stigma around mental health in a way that it is really deterring people from actually seeking and getting the help that they need. Yes. So thank you really for giving us a glimpse of what it was like for you. Now, one question that I would really want to hear your point of view on is, what do you have now that you didn't have back then before the darkness sort of set? Like what, what perspective, what have you gained? What have you understood now that you're here on this side, having probably gone through the worst of it, what do you know now that you didn't before? I think the central thing that holds true till today is appreciation. And it sounds so simple, but I've really gone through a journey of appreciating the darkness appreciating the pain and appreciating the emotions that still at time to time potentially show up as triggers or traumas. And also, I, I want to say this actually, Sanaya, I've, I think in the 
earlier part of my healing process, I was really focused and determined of detaching myself from the trauma, detaching myself from the the memory of it or from that feeling of, you know, the fear of getting back into that dark space. Because, you know, if you know anyone that is potentially suicidal or has attempted self-harm or lives in that spectrum of the darkness, it is a recurring thought process, right? The memory tends to come back. It tends to resurface. It tends to show itself. And if, if, it does, if it doesn't show itself internally, sometimes it can be manifested externally. If you see someone that reminds you of something, if you hear a song that brings you back to that moment, if you eat food and it, it, it retrieves a memory from the past and you're there again. And so my, I had an anxiety of how do I let go of this? Like, how do I, let, how do I never revisit this moment again? But I've also gained an appreciation for that struggle itself. And I've now come to the point where I'm even appreciating that it still exists. There's still a connection to that darkness, that moment that I had faced once before. I'm no longer now obsessed with trying to detach from it. I, I value its connection to me. I appreciate that I know that that is the contrast where I did make that decision to not go down that road. But I now know that road. And I know it well. And if I do have a memory where I do find myself near that, that road, I, I at least know and can rely that I made the right choice. And if I continue to make that choice, then I can serve others because I don't want to be deluded when I'm, you know, meet someone that, that is either living in that space right now or maybe potentially going down that road. I want to be able to walk with them down the road and say, okay, uh, talk to me. Like, what's going on? Like, what's going on that's bad? And how bad is it? And let's do it. Let's talk through it. Let's go all the way down to the edge of the cliff and let's have a look. Because I've been there. I've been there and I know what it's like to just be on the precipice of that decision. And I just want to develop a, a psychological process and a methodology and a system and a, and a, and a, res, a rescue theme, an energy of rescue where we can develop a way to say, okay, well, now that you're here and you've seen it, let me tell you that this is the way. Let me grab your hand. Let me hold your hand and let's go down this road. Down this road is the ability for you to now help other people that are in this darkness, right? And my true belief is that anyone that is suicidal or has ever attempted or lives in that dark space, we are all rescuers. We are all rescuers waiting to realize that we can help save lives. The moment you just make that psycholog psychological shift from fear to appreciation, you suddenly become uh, an agent of the light whether that light is just a very small speck, you know, and it's just the flicker of hope, that's enough. That's enough to lead the way so you can follow its, of course. yeah, it's, it's insight. It almost gives you this opening. And in this opening is just a multitude of opportunities for you to be, to contribute, to contribute to the people around you, to contribute to your community, to contribute to your country. And ultimately contribute to the world. And if you want to be a super expansive, contribute to the universe. 
so yeah, I, I have this huge appreciation. That's my central learning is really sitting in that space and in, like and, and sinking into appreciation. That's I think where hope starts to realize itself. Everything you said, Yuri, it's just it's so powerful and it is so I think important for people to be able to hear this. Now the healer in me wants to ask you a question. Do you think that all the that trauma, that darkness that you still keep that connection with, right? That comes up, you know, perhaps when you don't expect it to or gets triggered by situations either inside of you or outside of you. Do you think that part of the reason you keep that connection almost alive for you is it motivates you on this path that you have chosen for yourself, which is to be the rescuer, to be that person who can bring somebody else along with you as you find a different path forward or you forge a different path forward not only for yourself, but countless others who are also, you know, at that precipice. Like, do you think that that's why it's so you don't want to let it go on some level because you will always be able to understand what it's like for someone else who is in that place. You will never forget really because you can go back there if need be and almost get in touch with it all over again. So you can share that energy with somebody else going through it. That's a very fair question. And it's a question that's been first asked of me. And I appreciate <laughs> how you're creating new neurological pathways in my, in my mind. I think an accurate way to answer that is, I don't think I can stand behind the statement of, I don't want to let it go. Because I think I was sincerely and authentically trying to do that in my earlier part of my healing journey, I, I have recruited <laughs> the energy of surrender and trust and faith in what I think I've tried to deal with that trauma. Because I think the act of trying to let it go and detach from it is my earthly human act of trying to be in control. Like I am going to treat this like a piece of string. And if I want to detach it, I'm going to cut it with the scissors that I have in my hand. And that gives me a sense of control. I've cut it and it's gone. And now life will be perfect without it. I think that's the concept that I had in my mind. And I think it, it required my own personal, and I have to say spiritual growth, to realize that things aren't black and white. Things aren't finite. Things aren't about control. And so rather than focusing on that, I just surrendered to whatever higher um, intelligence or whatever higher purpose, uh, whatever pattern that they see fit, which I would find myself contributing towards is what I leaned into. And so I stopped focusing on, on cutting the string. Right. And I focused on uh, just trusting uh, where is this wave going to take me and so i think that's that's my stance and that, that's where the appreciation comes in and i probably still have a little bit of me that's like you know i kind of like wish i could easily cut it off and not have it not be present and detach and forget about it completely but i i mean i am more respectful and 
I guess I resonate at least with the nature within me that is capable of still having that darkness within my life. Because I, I also do believe that uh, each one of us has uh, an intrinsic nature that all together forms the entire fabric of you know our beautiful life that and experience that we're living. And for, maybe for me, my nature is, is capable of still holding on to that and still using it in a in a motivating way or, or or using it in a very functional, practical, let's go save lives and let's put on my rescue hat and let's go to work. Yeah. Because I I do uh, my nature also is I'm a worker. I, I like I like to have a duty. I like to have a purpose. And when I'm in work mode, suit me up. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go and work. And that's my duty. That's my that's my duty in life, I guess. Uh, I found my duty and I found my purpose. And it's it's a beautiful journey that I'm still going on and nothing's perfect. I'm still making mistakes along the way. I'm not always the ray of light. I am also, you know, strict and overbearing and sometimes demanding to even the staff that, that work for us. But one thing I'd love to love to actually do justice for is the people that work in Mind You. Everyone has their own personal battle with mental health. We've attracted that type of person, those individuals. And now we have a, a community. We have a mini community working on this mission together, dealing with challenges all along the way. And I, I'm very respectful of, of everyone's personal journey in mental health that is of service uh, here in the mission that we do at Mind You. And so I just want to shout out to everyone that's ever worked for us in the past that is currently working for us right now is in the process of coming on board very soon. And for those that do want to come on board and, and serve a very long-term, dutiful, purposeful mission, I, I just want to just shout out and give you all the light and respect and also share my um, appreciation and gratitude. And I feel so very blessed to be working with these individuals. So, yeah. Amazing. You know, um, Yuri, something you said I want to kind of circle back to, and you talked about acknowledging that perhaps you are using, or not using, but the memories that string you keep strong, right, could be motivating you. There could be an aspect of that. But I also want to talk about you saying that control was something that... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
was, you know, your lesson, something you had to learn because you were trying to control thinking I'll cut off the string and everything will be okay. But the more you tried to control, the more the control eluded you. And I just want to focus on that for a minute because whatever everyone is going through, right, whether it is, you know, being on that edge of the cliff and deciding whether to jump or not, right, whether it is a relationship challenge, whatever it may be, we're all in it as bad as it gets at the end of the day, we're all in a space where there is opportunity for growth and learning. And each of us has our own, you know, dragon to slay. Yours was control, right? And so for you, it wasn't an option to just cut the string because you'd never learn how to give up that control and just surrender and allow and give up to the higher being's purpose for your life. And I think that one thing, anyone who's listening, if you're listening in and you're wondering, you know, is my path the same as the next person's? Or, you know, is it about control for me? Or is it about fighting the darkness? I want to suggest that you look at what opportunity for growth your situation is giving you. Because I think what allowed Yuri to really move forward is recognizing what his dragon was, you know, what he had to kind of conquer or slay in order for him to find that ray of light and start to move towards it. I also think it's great, Yuri, that you gave us your point of view, that you're almost okay right now where things are, because it's kind of brought you almost the type of people who are all a part of Mind You, and they're all kind of dealing with that similar situation. And they understand it so well that it gives them the perspective to be able to help other people who are struggling with it. So I think it's just so beautiful what you said and just goes to show how we can take our biggest challenges and turn them into, into giving back, you know, to contribute, to make an impact, to help other people. Because we have crossed that bridge and we can kind of lend the hand to somebody who's on the other side. Now, tell me, Yuri, how did you get from being the one who was at the edge of the cliff to the one who is now lending a hand to someone who is there? How did that leap happen from this is my struggle and now this is my mission? I think it's synchronicity. I think everything, this was, wasn't planned. So this goes to, this really reels now back to the story of how Mind You started which is I came back to the Philippines at the end of 2019 because I had experienced my bout in Australia. Super fortunate, by the way, that that's where it happened because the support systems there are unbelievable. And it's actually what, it's actually what I'm trying to do in the Philippines. I want to see this Philippines that does have uh, you know, a, an environment where there are support systems, there are rescue systems, there's access to mental health care, there's access to education and information. But going back to the story, when I had come back to the Philippines, I was still super depressed. I was, I was in a bad place, even though I wasn't at the edge anymore. There's a, there's a huge road to travel to getting to a place where you feel like, okay, you can breathe. And so I'd come back to the Philippines and, um, 
I'd bumped into a very good friend of mine. Uh, his name's Michael, Michael Needham. And he was one of my guardian angels at the time, because when I came back, I would just lock myself in my room and just not go anywhere. I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to come back and work. I'm just going to work myself to death. And I'm just going to distract myself until kingdom come. But Michael actually dragged me everywhere he, everywhere he possibly could. He's like, hey, I'm going to dinner. I'm just going to take you out with me. I'm like, really, I don't, I really don't want to go. I don't feel like socializing. He's like, okay, but you know, and he would coax me into it. And he was a huge lifeline for me. And he, he reintegrated me socially, I would have to say. And now that I now that I look back, there's there's been a common theme in terms of getting out of a stagnant mental health state. And it is either motion or emotion. And both of those are interconnected. You know, motion can create emotion. Because, you know, when I started to move my body, I started to get out and walk and talk and, and integrate and socialize, I would feel different emotions. And those emotions would then be new doorways to new conversations and, and new ways of thinking. And it really opened things up for me. And then basically one day, Sanaya, Michael um, came to me uh, in, in the gym one day and said, hey, I've just got a great idea. I've got a great idea. I've looked at all the statistics. I've done some research. This is the suicide rate right now in the Philippines in a particular industry category. And when I looked at it, I was, it just really shocked me because I was still in that state of recovery. And when I saw those, when I saw that data, I was just like, oh my God, like we have to do something about this. He's like, okay, well, there's a few people that are already on board, you know? And, and then I met these individuals and at the time, it so happened that these were the founders of now two separate organizations that are now serving the community in the Philippines. And at the time, it all came from this one idea together as a small group. And that was the starting point. And as soon as it piqued my, my spirit's interest, it was just a beacon. I was just like, okay, who do I reach out to that's, that can help us with this? I know someone from this industry that can help us you know, start the process. I've someone that's worked in medical technology before that we can help with this. I, I started reaching out and, and building this initial small team. And an, another person um, that really started the flame at the time was, um, uh, his name's Ben. He's actually my best mate here in the, in, um, in the Philippines. And he had gone through a, a similar experience as I did. And we had both come back to the Philippines at the same time. And so he basically said, hey, you know what? I'm looking for something to invest in, something with purpose. I want to do something different. And that was it. In 2020 is when we started Mind You. And as you know, 2020 is also when pandemic. the pandemic also began. And it was just challenge upon challenge, but nothing stopped the momentum from the passionate souls that ended up being the snowball that rolled off the mountain and became an avalanche of just purpose and duty and inspiration. And it just went from the first client whom we were serving, which was uh, SM Supermalls, whom I have the hugest respect for because we didn't have any past experience. <laughs> and we brought to them this case that, hey, we can help your people. We're going to bring a system 
and we're going to bring an ideology and we're going to help create a healthy working environment for your people. And then that just snowballed onto the next client. And we were just learning at such a very fast pace. We brought in psychologists and psychiatrists and uh, science board advisors that really, really brought us together. And we had our first National Mental Health Summit in 2021. Lots of stakeholders that came and it was a very small, intimate event. And then very quickly, just a year later, it snowballed again into this National Mental Health Chapter 2, which was this year. And it was a multi-day event with behavioral health experts and integrative medical health doctors talking about the connectivity between your body and your mental health, the connectivity between your spirituality and your religion and your faith with your mental health, your finances with your mental health, and all of these different areas of life. And it was just, I'm still on, I'm still on that roller coaster as we speak. And I'm just, that motivates me, you know, seeing, seeing the community come together, seeing individuals come together, and even seeing those that are, that may seem like they're opposing entities and seeing how that even trusting in that process breaks down those barriers, breaks down those stigmas. And I'm just really leaning into it right now and, and leaving it up to the higher ups to kind of like dictate, like, what's the next chapter? Where are we going to go as a country? Where, where is Philippines going to go? You know, and what do we need to look at next? Is it legislative change? Is it infrastructural investment? Is it changing the competitive environment into a more cohesive and collaborative environment? Should we be working together as opposed to working against each other and bringing in smarter minds? I'd love to bring in smarter minds that are that can create sustainable economic models where we don't necessarily have to compete. And why are we competing? We only have a limited amount of psychologists and psychiatrists in the country. Like we have to develop a systemic ecosystem where we can actually serve and triage the hundred million plus people that we have in the country. And so how do we provide some of those services for free? How do we provide some of those services for a low cost? And then you go, you go through your pricing matrix. And then how do you attach yourselves to NGOs? How do you attach yourselves to conglomerates that do have foundations that do want to do good for the community? You know, how do we make it a case for them and say, hey, I think what's equally as important as your physical health is your mental health, because sometimes your mental health can cause you to have physical ailments and vice versa. And so because there's already so much attention on the physical body and your biology, there needs to be an equal amount of awareness and attention on what's happening up here, because How many times have we seen it just in society, what seems to be a healthy functioning individual with all the blessings in their life, they have a great job or they're a celebrity and suddenly they kill themselves. How can you explain that? And I think that that in itself is a crisis. And so unless we dedicate our focus and attention in the area of mental health and the bridge I feel of mental health into the biology is that behavioral health. That's the bridge. And I think that altogether we can create this beautiful fabric that gives us a doorway into potentially, and maybe someone, some people will think I'm over optimistic, universal healthcare in the Philippines. The conversation's already started. Legislators are already working on it. 
So there has to be brave corporations. There has to be brave NGOs. There has to be brave individuals that are willing to take the risk to fail to get there. Because even if we fail, there'll be other people that'll pick up the ruins that we've left and go, okay, they almost made it. Where can we take it now? And that's really my perspective, you know, like with, with, with mind you, who knows, are, are we going to make it? Are we going to actually create change? My true belief is we can, and we will, and no matter what, until our last dying uh, moment. And so there you have it. And I think that's kind of, uh, I've lost track of the point, but hopefully I've answered your question. <laughs> you have absolutely. And you have definitely shared your very inspiring vision with us. I don't see why not. Why, why, would it, why would you fail? I mean, with what you have in mind, with the purpose that drives you, and that's actually something I want to highlight for our listeners, is that you said you, were come, you came back to the Philippines, you were still depressed, you didn't even want to go out. And what essentially lifted you out was not only the support system, okay, which I think is very, very important, where me mental health is concerned, is even if you have that one person who has your back, you know, who keeps kind of pulling you out, of that space. The other thing that is very effective that I see a lot in helping people come out of that darkness is when they feel inspired by something that is bigger than them, you know, when they see a purpose and that kind of goes, mm -hmm. it goes to actually every situation where we are in some state of um, ill health or dis-ease uh, even if someone has cancer, a terminal illness of some kind, if there's a purpose, if there's a reason for living, if there's something greater that they can kind of live for, it really lifts them up out of whatever they're in. And it almost gives them an entire new lease on life. And from your story, I see that is what happened to you. Is this mission essentially took you out of where you were and gave you something worth you know, dedicating your life for. And in a way, I'm just going to, again, the healer in me is going to pose something out there. It's what you couldn't do for your mom. And you tried, you and your father together, right? What you couldn't do for her, you're going to do for millions of people. You're going to be able to give them a solution where they feel hopeless and helpless, like there's no way out. Um, and I think that is what is going to make your vision actually a success. Okay. Now I'm going to switch gears a little bit. How bad is it? Do you think in the Philippines? I know, you know, I know you said the numbers are underreported. I know you said that there are millions and millions of people who need this help. Give me a little, cause you, you even mentioned some, some very alarming statistics without telling us what industry or, or what those statistics are. So Give us a little bit of um, that information on how things are actually where we stand today. Sure. So, I mean, I have to answer this very intelligently because, you know, we rely also on a lot of official data. And the official data is very important because it comes from clinics and hospitals and from the functioning hotlines. And also there are some small studies in small communities, communities where they then extrapolate, you know, the findings across the larger, the entire population, essentially. Right. And I, I know from a development standpoint, like if you were 
a development bank or if you're a development organization or you're a, an international NGO, you kind of you kind of rely on these assumptions and these extrapolations, which is, I guess, one version of what's happening on the ground. But from my perspective, you know, having dealing with having dealt with NGOs on the ground, uh, visiting correctional centers, going to the communities and talking to other NGOs, it's really bad. It's really bad because there's just no systems. There's no reporting systems. And when you go into the communities, the level of information from an educational standpoint is very thin in the area of mental health. So how can they even find the words to describe their feeling or situation? It's easy to say, I've broken my arm because you can see it. And everyone talks about just these normal, normal ailments. But if you never hear about anyone with a mental health illness, what are the signs of it? What are the indicators of it? How do you treat it? Is there a place to go when you're struggling? Is there a number to call? You can easily go to your friend or your family member and say, I'm feeling physically sick and I need help. Can someone take me somewhere? But for you to say, I'm feeling either suicidal or I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling a high level of debilitating anxiety, you're often met with like, ah, you got this, go back to work, you know, or don't be weak. Or that's not who we are. That's not part of our family lineage. It gets even as deep as that sometimes. You're going to be a disrespect to our family. Don't put us to shame. I mean, you now add all of those blocks of barriers and how you get through this. And so now you go into the ground onto, onto the ground level and you realize it's bad. And we're also going through, uh, from a societal level, this a movement, a much-needed movement of gender parity, which I'm a huge supporter of. You know, uh, gender parity is something that we're striving. Uh, the majority of our staff are, are women, which is, which is why I'd say we're doing so very well. But in the area of mental health, I, I also have a very strong sub-advocacy for men's mental health because men typically don't like to communicate this stuff. And they hold the highest suicidal demographic in the suicidal statistical reality. Yeah, A lot of men just take their own lives because they feel like they can't provide or they feel like they can't live up to what's being expected of them. Yeah. And they engage in a lot of dangerous uh, occupations. Yuri, I just, I want to add something to that, actually, if you don't mind. Sure. So men are taught from a very young age that boys don't cry. Mm. Okay. Boys have mm-hmm. to be strong. They're not allowed to cry. Don't be a sissy. You're a boy. Be a man, right? How many boys are raised that way? Yes. Right? Or even if a boy falls and hurts his knee, no, no, don't cry. Don't cry. You're okay. You're strong. You're strong. Don't cry. Whereas women are encouraged or allowed to cry and express their emotions, although they will grow up and be told you're emotional, right? Like it's a bad thing. But they've been allowed to express their emotions, which is why the suicide rate is much higher in men, because they've never known, nor they have been allowed to, nor do they know how. 
mm-hmm. to express their emotions because all their life they heard that boys don't cry. Yes. It's not allowed. It makes you weak. You're you're weak like a like a girl. You're like a girl mm-hmm. if you cry. You know, and it takes an entire generation of, you know, change to happen for for parents to realize that in doing so, you know, in reinforcing these gender stereotypes, we are actually setting up men for those exact inadequacies, I would say, that are creating breakdowns in marriages mm. and in relationships because they don't have the ability to express. They've never learned how it was taken away from them. For sure. And so, yes, it explains that, that you know, that statistic that men actually need probably more of the support than women. Exactly. And, and you know, uh, it, I also think that, you know, just trying to be centered and just not also sitting in, on, on either side of the fence. I also don't want to blame the the older generations because what's what's ended up naturally happening is there's been uh, an evolution of consciousness, right? And what you see now today with the younger parents that are being more intentional about their their family dynamic is they're being they're, they're practicing conscious parenting, and that's only going to continue to expand. That's only going to continue to evolve. And I agree with you as the generations continue to take over and we, we journey through time, conscious parenting is going to happen. But for those people that are kind of like sitting still in that space of, you know, uh, I'm stuck between the trauma and the healing and the illness, you know, I think self-parenting is a very powerful tool. You know, you can do a lot of internal work, even on how your parents, you know, created environments for you and, and you as a person created coping mechanisms that now manifest as trauma. And like, I, I kind of want to refer to Gabor Mate, where, you know, I would say that in today's world, he's probably the, the modern father of trauma psychology. And he talks about how trauma is also a form of just biological coping as an animal, you know, and, and we have different areas of the brain that activate if we're in a fight or flight mode and we become instinctual and we get into survival mode. But you practice those behaviors enough, they become just part of your everyday conditioning. And then you can carry that into your adulthood, but really not doing the work to kind of reverse engineer and go back and go back into your memory and and really discover like, oh, how did I develop this coping mechanism? Oh, it was because of this, this and that. And realizing that it, it was a conditioned coping mechanism as opposed to this thing that I have that I can never change it now becomes a conversation where you can talk yourself into a different direction potentially. But that's, that's another whole rabbit hole that everyone can, can dive down. Gabor Mate, look him up on YouTube. Maybe we can tag him and Gabor, if we can have a conversation one day, you can consult for mind you or help us on our mission. We'd love for you to join the mission. <laughs> yeah, hmm. absolutely. Tell me, Yuri, about the resources, the counseling, the resources that you offer at mind you, especially with regard to suicide prevention or counseling, but also some of the other services. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. In terms of the the hotline development, so we've been developing a module framework in the background. So essentially what we're trying to do is we're not trying to develop a, a hotline like a one, like a 911 or for mental health. We do see that happening for sure. But what's more important than the, the number itself is What's going to happen when someone calls this phone line? 
What is going to be the methodology? What is going to be the framework? What is going to be the escalation, de-escalation? What is going to be potentially the intervention uh, required? Does the intervention not require medication? Does it require medication? Does it require a referral to go to an ER? Does it, you know, what, what, what are all of these contingencies, right? And so developing that in the back in, in a very process-driven scientific method is what we're working on. And so our hope is that we develop a hotline infrastructure where we can plug that into any hotline, whether it's through an LGU, it's through a national number, whether it's through a private NGO organization uh, like the Natasha Goldburn Foundation. We want to be able to provide anyone and everyone the capability to have a systemic solution where they can now deploy their rescue service, right? We don't want to disrupt these organizations that are focused and passionate about helping people. We want to keep them on their track, but we want to, we want to create a system where we can measure, we can monitor, we can evaluate, we can use that data so we can create evidence-based future programs and planning. Because why is that important? Because if we're now talking about government interaction and intervention, they need to budget for it. And how are they going to budget for it if they don't have the required evidence in place for it? And so that's kind of more of a long-term vision. Like that's probably like a 12 to 18 year vision. If we're ever going to see, you know, national infrastructural change, I'm hoping we can achieve it sooner. Uh, maybe we can, but I think, you know, dealing with the, the political structure in the Philippines and the commercial environment right now, and compounded by the fact that the whole globe's now going into recession, it just becomes a challenge. But you know, I think we have enough uh, passionate hearts and minds that we can navigate through these waters and maneuver our way through to serving people. So that's my thoughts in relation to suicide prevention for the hotline. In terms of other services, mind you, initially, when we started, we dedicated ourselves to serving working populations. So for the business people that are listening in, it was a B2B service, right? Because we took a study from Australia, from PwC, that demonstrated that as a corporation, if you took care of your people in a systemic way, their mental health, it would actually result in an increase in productivity output for the organization. And so that was the business case for it. But from a workplace culture, we were really serving the individuals in there, creating drip campaigns, wellness emails, access to, depending on what service you, you took on with Mind You, whether it's unlimited talk therapy for some organizations or there is a cap limit per month, right? So that's B2B. But this year at the summit, we actually also launched uh, the Mind You app, which is our B2C service. And that is our goal there is to provide access across the entire country. And so right now we've just launched, we were in a soft, we're currently in a soft launch, meaning that we're open to feedback. We're open for criticism. Anything that's wrong with the app, please feel free to let us know. We have a very responsive kind of uh, mentality like okay let's just take the consumer feedback and let's iterate and then over time we want to be able to develop uh, multiple price points that can serve all the different working communities across the entire spectrum of society in the philippines along with people that cannot afford it so these are these are people that live below the poverty line and economically vulnerable segments of society we've made a commitment with one of our partnerships so this is with the australian embassy in the philippines they gave us a COVID economic recovery grant. And part of our commitment there is to deliver 80,000 free sessions over the next two years to people that live below the poverty, poverty line. 
And so we're now working with you know, the likes of national government, LGUs, so that we can identify people that are actually truly, truly the poorest of the poor. And how can we help them, whether it's psychoeducational awareness, how do we improve their education in the area of mental health? If it's for people that are reasonably um, you know, informed, how can they get access to a free service, right? And so that's, that's basically what MindU's doing. And now we're, we're basically continuing on that path to iterate and grow our technology so that we can serve more areas of the industry, serve more segments of society. And so, yeah, that's where we're at. It sounds really incredible and exciting. It's like you're in the thick of, of really change that will, you know, I think it's just going to create an entirely new face of uh, healthcare and well-being at the same time. And I think it's something we badly need here in the Philippines. Mm. Now, Yuri, we are at the end of the episode. So I want to ask you the question I ask every one of my guests. What is your Project Loving Myself mantra that you would either like to share with our listeners or it is something that you know you really abide by? What would you say if you could summarize that in maybe one sentence? Loving Myself mantra. It's what you do for yourself, your well-being, your self-love, something you live by, something that has helped you in your journey. I do have two daily mantras, uh, which uh, I'm willing to share. Oh my gosh, I'm sharing this on a podcast. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me just re-decide whether I'm wanting to share this. <laughs> you, you've had a lot of firsts on this podcast I with know. me, Yuri. Oh my gosh, I'm a little right? bit worried about what platform this is going to go on. How many people are going to listen to this? Okay, Sanaya, you know, I think one of one of the things that helps ground me every day is I always wake up and I say to myself, the purpose of my life is to dance with the light and the dark. And it's to spread God's light and abundance for myself and others. And so when I wake up and that's what I and that's what I focus on the rest of the day really flows from that wave. And so that's my daily mantra. And that's what keeps me grounded. It uh, allows me to, you know, practice self-love. And it also allows that self-love to then become a rock in the pond that creates that processional effect that where that love can now touch others. And so, yeah, that's, um, that's what I'd love to, that's what I'd like to share. It's so apt, especially the line you said, I wake up every morning and you said something about dancing with the light and the dark, which ties back into our conversation about the darkness, about keeping that string connected to that trauma, about the ray of light. Actually, you've pretty much captured our conversation in that one statement. So that was really beautiful. Yuri, thank you for everything you have shared. Thank you for what you're doing for the country, for people. Thank you for taking your biggest. Uh, you know, most difficult moment and, and letting that be the beacon of light for so many other people. And thank you, of course, for coming on the podcast. If people want to find you or mind you, how do they get in touch? What socials or website would you like to direct people to? Sure. I'd love to direct everyone to mind you's website, which is mindyou.com.ph, or you can find us on uh, most social media platforms at MindUMHS. 
I think that's that's the best way to get in touch with me is to get in touch with the organization because that's an extension of my passion and extension of my duty and identity. And so, yeah, um, if there's anything that we can be of service for anybody or a community, please reach out. We're more than happy to listen, help, and um, provide a lending hand. Fantastic. And I'll make sure to tag that website also in our um, episode description. Thank you again, Yuri. And uh, I look forward to seeing what you're going to get done. I'm sure it's going to be just amazing stuff ahead. Thank you, Sanaya. Thank you for holding space. I'm very grateful. I appreciate you. Thank you. When you hear someone share such a big mission, does it inspire you as it does to me? I get goosebumps when I know something big is coming. On a different note, are you comfortable talking about mental health? Let's start that conversation. And if you know someone who is having a hard time, share this episode with them. Subscribe to the podcast and drop me a rating. Remember, episodes drop every Monday. Tag at Project Loving Myself Podcast and at Sanaya Gurnamal on your socials with any of your thoughts that you would love to share about this episode. Today's quote by Matt Haig. Mental health problems don't define who you are. They are something you experience. You walk in the rain and you feel the rain, but you are not the rain. Remember guys, you are still you and you will always be you, no matter what you go through. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Project Loving Myself, brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and powered by Pod Machine. You are loved. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.